Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome to our weekly Gentleman's Hour. Today on Trending, we will be unpacking fascinating topics today. Gentlemen, listen up. Do you fear commitment of marriage or think that moving in together is the next step in your relationship? Or have you been there, done that to maybe you tried moving in together before marriage? How did that work out for you? I would love to hear from you. Numbers 1-888-914-9149. Conventional wisdom holds a so- and even sociologists will comment that early marriage seems to increase the risk of divorce. Is this true and is this true for everyone? Well, not for religious people who marry young in their 20s and don't cohabitate before. I'll share with you more on this new study in just a moment. Hugh Brown will join me from American Life League as we unpack this, as well as a recent Wall Street Journal article. That's right, Wall Street Journal article going mainstream here talking about porn's impact on teenagers, particularly teenage boys. Also, as we know, Wednesdays, is the day that we dedicate in the church during the week to St. Joseph. Friday, we focus on the Passion of Christ, Saturday, Our Lady. We could go on and on about different themes throughout the week, but Wednesday is that day for St. Joseph. So we're going to unpack a little bit of the litany of St. Joseph here on Trending. Joining me now is Hugh Brown, the Vice President of American Life League. You can find them at all.org, doing incredible pro-life work. It's one of the many ways you can get involved in pro-life work today if you're wondering how to get a little bit more involved today. I want to talk to you about the Institute for Family Studies latest study on the religious marriage paradox. They wrote an article, the researchers, two researchers, Bradford Wilcox and Lyman Stone wrote an article in response to their own research about the surprising case for marrying young. As we hear, conventional wisdom tends to say, wait to get married, wait to get married until your 30s, and don't marry early. People try to claim that marrying early is a cause for divorce. But why is it that we see our great-grandparents had successful marriages and they married very early in fact in their 18 19 year old range is this true for everyone well not for religious people who marry young and get this don't cohabitate beforehand i know maybe you've been sick of hearing mom and dad saying it or maybe you're a mom and dad who have been saying it as nauseum according to the recent u.s census data many people believe that marrying close to the age of 30 reduces the risk in divorce but is this true? Well, I want to unpack that now with my guest, Hugh Brown. Hugh, welcome back to Trending. Timory, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. 
It's interesting talking about this recent information from the Institute for Family Studies and the latest census data. I find it riveting. We have reports showing that 70% of marriages today are preceded by cohabitation, and we have a rather high divorce rate and a low marriage rate. But what's interesting in this new research from the Institute for Family Studies is they show that religious people who get married in their 20s, even their early 20s, who marry directly without out cohabitating have the lowest divorce rate and some of the happiest marriages. Now, you and I were talking earlier about this study, and you shared that this is actually part of your own story as well. Oh, without doubt, with, without question. Um, my wife and I are both uh, 53 years old. Uh, we'll turn 54 later this year. I've known her since we were 14. I met her on the very first day of public high school back in 1983. We started dating in the 10th grade. I remember she asked me out. I had to, I had, I don't think I ever looked a girl in the eye before. And I had told her I had to ask my mom. (laughs) (laughs) I was a big, bad football player and it all got ruined in that moment because people were like, what did he just say? And um, anyway, we went out on dates um, and we got engaged when we were 19. We got married at 23 on the very first Saturday. The University of Maryland didn't have a football game my senior year so that my teammates could be there. And my experience is that Christ has to be in the middle of everything, right? And the world is just lying. And when you say that, especially to people that are either lukewarm or not Christians, they roll their eyes. And the evidence, at least in my life, is overwhelming. You know, one of the things my our oldest daughter is now 28. She wanted um, uh, social media in the 10th and 11th grade. And we said no, but I allowed her a Facebook page as long as I got one. And that was 2008, 9 or 10. And the only thing really that I've taken away from that Facebook page is that the people that I knew in high school or even in college that are still together are Christians. They're Catholic or they're Christians. Everybody else, and I'm not being judgmental, but it's a train wreck. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have to have Christ in the center of your relationship and you have to have trust. And we live in a time, especially as I mentioned, in coaching young men, where they're being preached to by the world, that they have to go through as many women or girls as possible. It's a lie. It's a deception. And I think we're really causing harm to this generation uh, and the generation before them by not stressing the value of loving a person and committing yourself to that person through Christ um, Mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. I mean, it's just, it, it makes life what it is. Right. Faith brings a level of accountability to our relationships, particularly those long-term and what are meant to be permanent relationships. I think part of what you just said was so striking that, you know, once you started to head on to Facebook about, you know, 14 years ago or so, that all of a sudden, you know, with reconnecting with people who you had known from high school and college, boom, you see the people who stayed married were the people who had faith behind them. And we live at a time where millennials and Gen Z have increasingly had very little exposure to church. They identify many of them as the nuns, not identifying with any religion, not the religious nuns as we know. And it's interesting to see this because what this says is that they're going to have a harder time in their relationships, both friendships, but also dating romantic and marital relationships, because the statistics are clear, and they have been for a while. People don't who don't have a faith-based ethic going into relationships have a harder time sticking it out. 
And I think that that just speaks to our existence, right? I mean, I think you can look anywhere and, and see that to be true. I think anyone listening to you that would be skeptical of that, just look at, look at the people in your own circle. It's truth, right? It, it, I, the, the families that stay together more times and more often than not by a significant number, while it's not easy, right? I mean, being married and having a family, it's a challenge. It's not supposed to be easy, right? It's the domestic church. It's a call to sainthood. And we live in a time where the family is under constant attack, even trying to redefine what a family is or redefining sexuality and gender. It's all just nonsense intended to destroy what God created. And men in particular just have mm. to have the courage and the heart to trust in love. You have mm. to trust in love, not the next great conquest, because it just leaves a wake of disaster. Maybe not in your life, but in the lives of the women that you've impacted, it's a disaster. And you're going to be held mm. accountable to that. And you have to trust Christ. My wife said something profound to me fifth year, sixth year of marriage. It was early on. She was not Catholic when we married. She was very interested in the Catholic church and we would go to mass together. I never mandated or pressed. I mean, who am I to do that? She, when we started, we got pregnant right after we got married and she said, our children are going to be raised in the Catholic church. And she converted, I think just around the time our first daughter was born. And she said to me in the fourth or fifth year of marriage that my responsibility was not to her. My responsibility was to Christ first, then her. And not that, you know, there was any great struggle or trial going on, but I needed to hear those words because in my mid to late 20s, it really recentered me and gave me a purpose maybe I didn't have before. And that was the Holy Spirit speaking through her to me and message received because I necessarily wasn't on the right path at the time. And she, she really, I mean, it, it came from a place that just moved me. I'll never forget it. It was a pivotal moment in our lives. And I share that now with others because men have to have the courage to trust Christ, serve him first, serve him first, and then adore your wife. I mean, if she's your girlfriend, make her your fiance, then make her your wife. And yes, save yourself for marriage. Do things the way the Lord intends not the lies of the world, because the train wrecks that are out there far outnumber the families that are not, and it impacts us all. And it's sad, and it's a lot of work to help people like that, but if you put Christ first, while it's not going to be easy, it's not meant mm -hmm. to be, it's the best thing life has to offer. You know, Hugh, I think all of this relates to the pro-life issue as well and the crisis of abortion that we have in the culture and how abortion is impacting both men and women. Because we have, you know, as men today, men fear commitment, especially when it comes to marriage. The idea of marriage in your 20s, your early 20s is just unfathomable and it seems unreasonable to many of them. And many think that moving in together really is the next step in a relationship. But what you just said reminded me of how faith gives men a mission. Men need and want and long for a mission. And you are called into your mission in a better way if you have a faith-filled spouse who's going to help keep that orientation of the mission correct. And it makes me think about how in our culture with this permissive abortion and contraceptive mindset, many men have been completely disoriented from any sense of mission or 
or responsibility or truthfulness or integrity with themselves because that mission that was so common of marriage early and responsibility has been stripped from them. And instead, the wound of abortion has not just been the fact that they're participating in abortions and encouraging them, but it's literally damaging their capacity to be responsible and thriving human beings today. Amen. Amen. That's beautifully said, Timory. And as you're speaking, it made me think, I didn't come up with this, but I remember years ago, someone was saying to me how, might have been a homily, how we entertain ourselves. Even if you just turn on a random television channel, a lot of the sitcoms or portrayals, movies of fathers today, they're sort of the, the useful idiot, right? I mean, dad's just kind of the, the, the guy screwing things up or the goofball. Uh, and the, the, the woke um, sort of uh, collective came up with this whole toxic masculinity nonsense within the last decade. M men are being attacked from every possible point, right? Every possible corner. And it's meant to do exactly what you just said, take us off mission, right? And you, we've got to have faith. I just, I communicated with a friend just before calling you. I haven't heard from him in six months, but he's struggling with something. And I just let him know that faith is a gift, right? It's a gift that's either received or rejected. It's been given to him. So embrace it, right? He's embraced it in the past. Embrace it now because what he's going through, he's not going to get through without it. I can't help him. And give you advice, but you got to lean on the Lord. And men today, as you've said, have been attacked, and it's the devil. The devil uses everything mainstream media, uh, movies, television, sick, all of it is meant to make the virtuous man somehow not cool, somehow not the way to go. But that's what God wants. And there's nothing more rewarding. I would tell any man listening to this there's not a young man, you know, the, the woman that you love, the girl that you love. Treat her with respect. I, after a confession one day, I was praying years ago. And the priest asked me to pray for my wife. And the word that came to me for my wife that stuck in my heart was adoration. Adore your wife, right? Mm -hmm. Adore her. Put everything else aside. Focus on making your family what the Lord intends. And that means you've got to put her first in all things. While men fear commitment, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but it's mm -hmm. the purpose of life. I think about guys that I know my age that I went to college with, that I played football with, that are just lost, lost, not married or divorced, no sense of faith, no sense of anything, just afloat in their mid-50s. And it's horribly sad. I pray for them. But there is a better way, right? There is a better way. Have courage. Have faith. Trust in the Lord. Faith is the, the, the substance of things we can't see. Just believe in it, embrace it, and God will bless it. There's no question. That's Hugh Brown, the vice president of American Life League, doing incredible pro-life work. Hugh, when you were talking, it made me really think about the juxtaposition of what the culture says. Uh, in the study by Bradford Wilcox from the Institute for Family Studies, pointing to the fact that people who marry young and have faith and don't cohabitate beforehand uh, have happier marriages and much, much lower divorce rate. In the, that study, in the commentary on his own study, he gives an example of a young man, Joey, who married his wife in his 20s. And he said Joey was a uh, 
really, really pressed by his colleagues and even family and friends to not get married. And some of his colleagues in the finance industry commented to him that the 20s are the time to enjoy and have fun and go out. And he said their view was is that this is a time to be young and free and independent and you can't have fun in a free lifestyle when you get married. And so I'd like to hear your thoughts on how, you know, there's this mindset of just have fun. This isn't the time for commitment. This is a time for freedom and independence versus what you're proposing is saying that commitment, a mission, a spouse, even children in your 20s, that that commitment is rewarding. How is it rewarding? Um, by, By two amazing parents. And my father, who passed away in November, was a no-nonsense kind of guy, had a great sense of humor. I joke with my siblings, did we ever see him in the 50-plus years that I was alive or they were alive, did we ever see him not wearing a pair of just slacks and dress shoes? Did he actually have other clothes? (laughs) And I I say that because he was all business, but he was very loving. And the example that he gave to me was family. And it wasn't just my mom and my sisters and myself, it was his brothers and and their families and his mom and my mom's mom and people that I know couldn't even stand him, right? Because everybody was always envious of him for some reason, but he was just successful in everything he did. He was humble. He never said a word and he trusted the Lord and he trusted him in a quiet way. You're never going to hear the guy quote scripture, but he served his family and that's the purpose of mission. Life is family. So having fun, young men in their 20s going out, drinking, hooking up with girls, doing drugs, going to the parties, doing all those things, it's hopeless, it's empty, it leads to ruin, it leads to emptiness. And people listening to this that have done it know exactly what I'm talking about because at the end of that fun day or fun night, there's a feeling of overwhelming emptiness. And that emptiness is the absence of grace. And the grace of Almighty God is never more powerful than it is within the husband and wife and their children and the family. And those husbands and wives that can't have children but are adopting and trying, there's nothing more powerful than that grace. And that grace is the purpose of life. It's serving the Lord. You know, we don't have to be in front of 100,000 people like Billy Graham giving a speech to impact lives. You impact lives in your own home. You impact lives in your own community. You impact lives by being there for your children. That's what matters. So to any young man, I would say the purpose of life is family, family, and God defined the family. It's a man serving the Lord who, when he's blessed, finds an outstanding uh, a person, a woman who he falls in love with, and she serves the Lord and you serve the Lord. And while you're not perfect, you strive to be better. You strive to be better. You strive to serve the Lord. And God blesses that. And it is just There's nothing better on planet Earth. The research is clear, and it's something we can share and preach from the rooftops that faith and social sciences match one in one. That is Hugh Brown from American Life League. Find them at all.com. We'll include a link on social media in the podcast notes. But here's the bottom line Institute for Family Studies latest research that came out made it very clear if you marry young in your 20s and you have faith and you don't cohabitate beforehand, it is a sure safety against divorce and for happiness. It shows shared faith is linked to more sexual fidelity, greater commitment, and higher relationship quality. This goes hand in hand with a number of other studies, one including a study from Harvard 
Harvard that says women who regularly attend church were 40% less likely to divorce. In a Stanford study that was cited in the Amer- in the Institute for Family Research Studies showed that other research is linking how cohabitation divorce, especially for women, have very negatively impacted women in their future relationships with husbands. And so this is the truth of the matter. It's not just religious studies coming out. It's Harvard, it's Stanford, it's the Institute for Family Studies and others who are telling the truth about the reality and the goodness of marrying young and not fearing that commitment, especially for men who I know it's a great leap of faith sometimes. It seems like to make that commitment, but Hugh, your story is such a testament to this. I want to come back talking about Wall Street Journal. We're going mainstream here, is actually talking about how pornography is impacting teenagers and relationships, particularly teen boys. We'll be right back here on Trending during our weekly Gentleman's Hour. Also, we're going to unpack a part of the litany of St. Joseph, talking about St. Joseph today on his day, which is every Wednesday in the tradition of the church. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We'll unpack St. Joseph and his titles under the litany of St. Joseph here in that rhythm of the church that the church offers us of Wednesdays focusing on St. Joseph. It's our weekly gentleman's hour here on Trending. I'd love to hear from you. If you had anxiety about getting married, gentlemen, nervousness, fear of commitment, a thought that shacking up, moving in together was the next step in your relationship. How did that go for you? I'd love to hear from you. The number is 1-888-914-9149, or you can comment live now on my Instagram, social media. Just follow me at Timmerie, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Joining me now is Hugh Brown, the Vice President of American Life League. Find them at all.org. Hugh, There's a huge trend in our culture today of pornography. Uh, Statistics show, studies show that the average age of exposure is anywhere between 8 and 12. Most commonly, we see studies showing about 10 years old. We know that estimated at least 80% of teenagers have seen porn. That's rather a what I would argue modest number. I've seen much higher than that as well. But before we unpack this recent article in the Wall Street Journal of all places talking about pornography and its impact on teenage brains, particularly boys, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on how you might see, especially coming from the pro-life movement, how you might see the connection between the increase in porn use today with the increase in access to abortion and the damage that's been done to relationships. I think that that is an absolute direct connection, and that's a great question. My wife and I also have, you know, as I mentioned, five children, and we we talk about pornography. We talk about it. I talk about it often with my sons. My wife has talked about it with my daughters. Uh, it, it clearly, I think, because of the way the male brain is wired, it's a greater temptation and a greater allure for young men. And as far as its direct connection to abortion, I think that when you have a sort of a pornographic, I don't even know the word that you would use. It's not an industry. It's, it's basically a plague. I mean, it's everywhere. And it start as you mentioned, you, you, the age of eight, that's shocking to me. I think part of it is also 
personal responsibility. I mean, I think parents have a responsibility to not hand their children an iPhone, right? Not at eight, mm-hmm. not at 10, not at 12. I mean, perhaps in high school, maybe, you know, with, with, with strict mm-hmm. limitations. And I realize that they can see this, the, this nonsense with their friends. But it comes down very much to having young people understand and appreciate the, the value of the human person, because abortion is a total destruction of the human person. But that doesn't exist if people aren't you know having sex. And normally it's a pregnancy. And what do folks say? Well, it's a baby we don't want. Well, how does that happen? And a lot of times it's because of people hooking up. It's because of just sexual flings. It's a young woman put in a horrible situation in her own mind. And young men are direct participants in that. So one of the things that we tell young men, as I mentioned, I also coach a football team. Think about your mother. Think about your sisters. Would you want them, whatever pornography you've seen, would you want them involved in that? From viewing it to perhaps being the ones being objectified. And that has a fairly tremendous impact on young men. They've got to pause and think that women are not objects. Right. Do you value your mom? Do you value your sisters? Do you value your girlfriend? Do you value your grandmother? Do you value the people in your life? Maybe your aunt, someone who's had the greatest impact on you. Would you want them involved in this? And the answer is no. So we have Mm -hmm. to get them to think about it because the allure and the temptation is strong. And just saying, like most things, just saying don't do it isn't enough. So we work very hard to get young men to think about the value of the human person in terms of sexuality as well. But that takes direct effort because we're combating, combating rather, a giant in the just the sheer volume of pornography that's available a click right. away for, for young men. Yeah. You, you talk about the devaluing of the human person, and I really do see this stark contrast as you're discussing between the connection of abortion and pornography, where you know we've done damage to our relationships because we've de- men have dehumanized women through contraceptive use in relationships and abortion, just thinking women are a means for pleasure and utility without any sense of responsibility for the potential of motherhood within a woman and for the potential of a child and the actualization of a child. And with that, we've seen the dehumanization of children as well. And so we're in this culture today from abortion of utility and pleasure with regard to how we view other human beings. And like you said, it's not just a matter of saying don't look at pornography. It's a matter of regaining that value for ourselves, especially for women, and the value that men have toward women and toward children. And this is an uphill battle. You know, I was looking at kind of the rage of the Women's March, and I watched all the speeches for the uh, rally they had in Washington, D.C., which, by the way, only a couple hundred people showed up for. They did not have people in the thousands. It was their Summer of Rage rally or Summer of Fury rally, and they were so angry. And I think about how the pro-life movement for over 50 years now has been an upward battle against a culture that is very uh, utilitarian and dehumanizing. And that's what we're still in, even with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And this is how, by helping to rehumanize and value people, this is how we bring about a culture of life and a culture 
that has endorsed abortion, even viewing it either as something that's okay or in the majority of cases, a necessary evil. And so I love that, you know, here you are working for American Life League, but at the same time, you know, you're following on the steps and heels of your football career and working and passing on the faith and values to young men now with being a football coach. And I think that these are areas where we can challenge ourselves to take, you know, some of our skill sets and our hobbies even, and to use that to help re-evangelize and bring a culture of life in a way that people might not necessarily think is incredibly pro-life, but that's part of what you're doing and instilling these values in young men today, Hugh. Well, thank you, Timory, but I think it's critical too. And as you're describing that, it got me thinking, I, we tell people at, at St. Michael the Archangel Catholic High School, which the American Life League has been very involved in from day one, and I mention that because we have a, a program that we call the Culture of Life Studies Program, and it goes all the way down to um, preschoolers, all the way up to 12th grade. It's not a curriculum that's going to teach you math, English, and science, but there are modules that will talk about dozens and dozens and dozens of different things. And it's an opportunity to evangelize. And I, I think, you know, in, in stark contrast to what kids are learning in the public school system now, I'm thinking of a young man who came to us from one of the public high schools uh, two counties away from us. And his mother was very upset that at lunch two or three years ago, he was handed a flyer to a club that was the transgender something or another club and it was as anti-christian as you can possibly imagine and she wanted him out of that environment and i mentioned him because i use him as an example we have some very devout catholic families but then having a pretty successful football program we also have a number of young men who aren't catholic and i think catholic families say well i don't know that i want my children around other families or young men that aren't catholic and that's given me a tremendous opportunity to say number one that's not how the lord thinks and number two, we're also very careful in how we admit and, and all these other things. But we have an opportunity to evangelize, right? We have an opportunity to, to share God's message, to share the message of the Catholic Church, in many cases, to young men that aren't going to hear it anywhere else. And they have to understand that they as men, God made them men, have a grave responsibility to be men. They have to serve the Lord first. And that you mentioned St. Joseph. What a marvelous example. I talked to someone earlier today, I believe on Sacred Heart Radio, and we were talking about the fact that the church is built on the sacrifice of the saints and martyrs. And the, many of those people gave their lives for the very things we're talking about now, immorality. Right? We don't happen to live in a time where if you're pro-life, you're being you know, murdered yet. Um, or, or if you oppose pornography, they're coming after you yet, but we have, it has happened in the last 2000 years. Mm -hmm. So we, those, those examples are people that serve the Lord and gave their lives and we have their help in heaven. We have to understand that our faith is a very serious matter. We have to evangelize. We have to tell the truth and we have to ask young people, just like you started off this afternoon, have faith, have courage, be willing to love the person that God put in your life, be willing to commit, be willing to serve the Lord, not the world, because that messaging is constant, it's relentless, and it is essentially anti-Christian, because it's telling, as you said, it, it's pleasure at any cost, pleasure at all costs, objectifying women, okay, she got pregnant, have an abortion, it's just like throwing away a, mm. you know, a, something in the garbage, and that's not the truth. 
So we've got to, we have, we, Tim, I, I like to tell people, if not us, who? We have to tell the truth. We have to be willing to discuss the difficult things. We have to be willing, especially with young men, to tell them that the Lord has created them for a purpose, and that purpose is not what the world is telling you. It's your own discernment. It's developing a prayer life. It's understanding, what does God want from me? And I can't answer that, but the Lord will answer it for you, right? But you've got to dis distance yourself and disconnect from the lies of the world. And that's a critical part of reclaiming young men for Christ. That's Hugh Brown, the vice president of American Life League. You can find them at all.org. Hugh, as I'm looking at this recent article from the Wall Street Journal on what porn does to teenage brains, particularly the brains of young boys, uh, I am always struck by the fact that, again, I'm glad this is a mainstream in the Wall Street Journal this past week. But what's interesting is that it talks about the high strike that pornography makes in spiking the feel-good neurotransmitters. That is the dopamine, that pleasure-reward chemical that uh, we experience specifically when looking at pornography and how young boys in particular are more susceptible to seeking out and being wired for that pleasure. And so what the researchers are showing is that young people are more vulnerable to compulsive and addictive pornography use. And so as we're looking at this, I think my big question that I think everyone should be asking right now is, how do we help fix this? And I think the first response you and I are saying is we need to go back to valuing people and helping people to see the value in one another and ourselves and in children and the gift of family life and commitment, which we've been talking about. But also, as you mentioned earlier, you know, the idea of not giving your kids technology when they're really not ready. I'm a huge advocate for ScreenStrung.com. Melanie Hempy, the founder, is a guest we have here regularly. We'll include a link to ScreenStrung.com, but they make the argument for delaying, delaying, delaying technology use for kids and personalized screens from phones to tablets because the exposure for everything from pornography to the damage of depression, anxiety through social media is very real. And we've got to lock down these screens, Hugh, from ScreenStrong.com, you know, having those resources for why we should do it. Understanding that your kids won't be ostracized or alienated or social outcasts for it, but also having resources such as Covenant Eyes. We'll include a link on social media in the podcast notes for restricting access to pornography and getting a notification if your kid pulls it up on a smartphone, tablet, or computer. I think that these resources are resources we need, Hugh, because we we live in a culture where it's so easily accessible and such a culture that is so dehumanizing that we need to take these tools in our own lives as adults, but also in our children's lives as well. Without a doubt. And we can talk all day about personal responsibility and about accountability and about instilling values, but we also have to understand that the devil never stops. And you and I began speaking about the example you gave of a couple that got married in their early 20s. And that example, um, as I mentioned, I can find now my friends in their 40s and 50s uh, in, on Facebook, same, same kids that loved each other back in the 80s, you know, and committed and did things the right way are still together. With that, fatherhood and motherhood comes a responsibility to your children. Right. And President Reagan, I'm thinking of my father, President Reagan used to say, trust, but verify. So we're raising you the right way. But we also know that we're human, that we make mistakes and we've got to put in place 
the structures and use the tools that are available to us. It's naive to say the kids aren't going to access technology. That's naive. But I do think as parents, my, my daughters, my older daughters now in their mid, mid-20s, um, were critical of me uh, as they went into college a number of years ago. They're two years apart, the older two, because they didn't have cell phones until their senior year, their senior years at St. Michael in high school. And then they got the nerd phone, as they called it. And I was, and I was very matter of fact, I've done the same with all my children. You don't need it, right? You can call me after basketball practice. You can call me after whatever. Yeah, that's fine. But you do not need the screen. My, my, the two children that are still at home are 19 and 17. They both have iPhones. Um, one is a graduating senior. One is a rising senior. Every single night at 10 o'clock, I ask for their iPhones. If they have a tablet, I ask for that. And it was said, we're on vacation now this week, but it was said to me just last Friday is, hey, dad, we're leaving at six o'clock in the morning. It's 10 p.m. What are you asking me for my cell phone for? I said, you live in my house, don't you? I trust you, but I don't trust the device. And my wife, similarly, we've put different apps on the phones to make sure and we've been blessed not to have a lot of issues, but we have had issues. It's naive to think that you won't. Because from Instagram, uh, what's the horrible one? Uh, Snapchat, goodness gracious! TikTok, I mean, so TikTok—the right? yes, the things that kids can access mm-hmm. are, are are beyond triple X rated, and they don't. In some cases, it just pops up. So right. the devil will never stop. So Timmer, I'm glad you were advertising those apps. I'm going to make note of them. One of them I've not heard of before, but I think it's important to share. I I will share that with all the families in our high school and at the American Life League as well, because it's Christian Catholic. Parents have got to take responsibility for those things because the devil is not going to stop. And the next TikTok app or whatever the next one's going to be is probably on the way and it's probably going to be worse. And the one after that, five years from now, is probably going to be worse than that. That's how the devil works. And we have got to stay vigilant and on top for the well being of our children because those things can cause harm, no question. I'll include a link to some of these resources we've mentioned, including to the Wall Street Journal article on social media and in the podcast notes for today's show. Be sure to subscribe, relevantradio.com forward slash trending or wherever you subscribe and catch your podcast. We are there. But I mentioned Covenant Eyes for pornography filtration to put on your devices and computers, uh, setting restrictions on smartphones and smart devices that actually you can block adult content websites and even set which websites your kids are allowed to use. Screenstrong.com is an incredible resource for parents in helping to delay screen use, understanding the science, the impact on kids, and giving you incredible resources. And finally, the Gab phone. You want talk text only for your kids. The Gab phone is one way to do that. So I'll include the, this list in the podcast notes for today's show. That's been Hugh Brown, the Vice President of American Life League, promoting family pro-life values that we bring back a pro-life culture through truth and in the humanization of people and the Christian dimension of the human person can find them at all.org. Again, that's all.org. I'll be right back here on trending to talk about St. Joseph on this day, Wednesday that we dedicate in the week to St. Joseph talking about why he gives us that model of being the leader of the family and is an inspiration to anyone seeking out a family. But also, I want to hear from you. Gentlemen, did you maybe have a fear of commitment or think that shacking up was the next step in your relationship rather than marriage? Give me a call, 1-888-914-9149.
We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. St. Joseph is who we think about in the rhythm of the church and the liturgical celebration in the heartbeat of the Mass this week. Every Wednesday is dedicated to St. Joseph. And I love this day in particular because it's an opportunity to meditate upon him, his intervention, his intercession, uh, his role in the Holy Family. Uh, And I want to talk a little bit about some of the titles he holds in the litany of St. Joseph uh, that is commonly prayed to him and is a very, I think, a special way to celebrate and mark Wednesdays in the week, uh, remembering and asking for his intercession. But we've been talking today during our weekly Gentleman's Hour a lot about marriage responsibility, the impact of everything from pornography and abortion and this dehumanization and lack of responsibility that is occurring in our culture, but also among men today. And I am curious, Institute for Family Studies released a study saying that people who marry in their 20s don't cohabitate before getting married and have faith, that they are having very happy marriages and marriages that are becoming rather divorce-proof, in fact. And so I want to hear your thoughts. Did you think that commitment or had a fear of commitment that led you to delay or not get married? Or did you at any point think that cohabitating was the way to go and that that was the next step in a relationship? How did that go for you? I'd love to hear from you. The number is 1-888-914-9149. Or you can share your thoughts now on my Instagram. I'm there live as well as on social media, Twitter, Facebook. We're there. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Okay, Matt's calling from San Antonio, Texas. Matt, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic of marriage and fear of commitment. Welcome to Trending. What was your experience? Hi, Timory. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing I myself great. was you. married for about, oh, okay. <laughs> yes. I was married for about eight years myself, and the marriage didn't last. Um, but it, it, was, it was exceptional in the sense that I got married at all, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. A, a lot. You're you're typifying men as being commitment phobic, or young men as as becoming commitment phobic, and so on. I I don't necessarily think that's a very fair comparison. I think I think what's happening in the society at large is a lot of young men and men in general are doing a cost benefit analysis around marriage. You know, in their minds, when you consider that half of marriages end in divorce, and seventy uh, percent of the time it's the it's the female spouse who initiates the divorce and that um, 90% of the time any children that are born of the marriage go to the woman, that adds up to a one in three chance that if a man gets married, um, at some point his wife is going to leave him and take his children and stick him with the bill. And a lot of young men know this and they're doing a cost benefit analysis. They don't necessarily Mm -hmm. think that their relationship with the woman that they want to marry is going to necessarily be any better than anyone else's. So why should they think that they're in a, um, in a better, you know, in a better situation? Why should they think that they're Mm -hmm. any exception? Right. Matt, you know, you bring out a really, 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 I think, good number of points uh, that men are doing this cost-benefit analysis. It's true. Half of marriages end in divorce today. Uh, Females tend to initiate the divorces and children 
usually go to the women. And so men are experiencing a grave fallout when it comes to uh, the breakdown of the family and the negative dimension in which marriages are ending, if they even begin at all. And you started by arguing that, you know, maybe men are getting the short end of the stick here and my argument that, you know, men fear commitment. I hear what you're saying that they're looking at their cost benefit analysis, but I think that a lot of men, before they even get into that cost benefit analysis, they're not even thinking about marriage. Like marriage isn't even a blip on their radar. And maybe it's because of the brokenness as we see in the culture. But it is interesting to see that maybe men aren't necessarily fearing marriage, but they're just being wise and saying, Maybe marriage just isn't for me. And I think that's due to the lack of quality of women today. And I really do think that that's a challenge on both ends of the spectrum, the lack of quality of men and the lack of quality of women. If you are discerning marriage with a good woman, with a faith-filled woman who believes in the permanence of marriage, and I think this is also often, again, this isn't a diss to anyone who has come from a broken family, but this is sometimes why it's important when you look at who you're marrying and you look at the family of origin that they're coming from, you know, have they had models of committed marital relationships. I think all of these things are important factors, but what it comes to at the end of the day is are we getting to the point where we're dating the right people and discerning marriage with the right people? Because if we are, while fear can be there in that cost-benefit analysis can be there, seeing how divorce impacts women and how divorce impacts men, I think that we can get over some of these humps of either fear or calculation that are getting in the way of people ever making the jump into marriage or who are choosing instead to enter into cohabitating relationships first. So excellent points and thoughts, Matt. I think that's really important and it's a challenge to everyone and anyone who is single uh, to really value your faith, to let that faith permeate in your life, to make you an excellent human being so that you can be an excellent spouse to someone if that is something that you are interested in. And I think that those are really important things that we're remembering that we become the people we want to marry, the qualities that we so desperately desire so that someone isn't sitting here looking at me saying, I'm doing this cost benefit analysis and hun, you're not worth it. Because I understand justifiably so in our culture where people are doing that cost-benefit analysis, but where they should have enough hope and not blind hope or not lovey-dovey feelings, but true, true hope and uh, integrity and trust in that relationship that they are confident entering into an engagement, and entering into a marriage. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I want to talk about St. Joseph, who I think is the healing balm, inspiration, and guide for especially men in a culture where we're talking about this dehumanization, this fear of commitment, uh, the damage that's been done through pornography, and the impact of abortion. St. Joseph and the litany of St. Joseph has a number of titles that are inspiration and through meditating upon them, can be true guides in helping all of us, whether it's women who are discerning, what kind of man do I want to marry? What kind of um, virtues do I want to instill and encourage and pray for in a spouse or in my current spouse? And gentlemen, who do I want to emulate? Who can I meditate upon? Whether you come from a broken family and you're trying to heal those wounds and that brokenness, or maybe you're just looking for that icon, that image of 
masculine inspiration and perfection. You know, don't just look to the stars. Don't just look to social media influencers. Our saints are sure guides in how to live the Christian life. And the litany of St. Joseph, I really do believe, is so helpful in meditating upon St. Joseph and his life and who he was. A handful of his titles that I want to ponder for just a moment uh, are where he's called Light of Patriarchs, Spouse of the Mother of God, Guardian of the Redeemer, Pure Guardian of the Virgin, and Provider for the Son of God. When St. Joseph is referred to as the Light of Patriarchs, this is rather controversial in the 21st century where we tend to combat and front a radical feminist movement that often speaks about knocking down the patriarchy. And the reality is, is that to be a patriarch means to be the leader of the family, the head of the family, the head of a home, and should be an inspirational head of the home. And that's who and what St. Joseph is. He's the male head of the home. And I think that this is healing to look at St. Joseph's model. It can be healing for our own radical feminist anti-man mindset that does permeate not just in the radical feminists, but in many of us women today. Uh, But it also helps to heal that brokenness when it comes to being against the order of what God intended for the families. Uh, I think that understanding St. Joseph as the light of patriarchs, that model of patriarchs as we refer to him in the litany of St. Joseph, helps us in restoring the order of of the God-intended order of masculinity, that God-given mission for men to lead, protect, and provide. Pope Pius XI, in his encyclical Casti Canubi, that came out right around the time when hormonal contraception was being adopted and accepted by various churches, uh, right around the 1930s, and while we were, you know, heading into this sexual revolution, and where eventually we'd see hormonal contraception decriminalized here in the United States, we actually had laws against contraception. We didn't know that in much of the Western world, uh, but what? Pope Pius XI said at the time when we saw this dehumanization of the family, he talked about how husbands, and this was controversial, especially as the feminist movement was on the rise, he said the husband is the head of the home and the woman is the heart of the home. And when I look at St. Joseph under that title of Light of Patriarchs, he gives us a glimpse into what that looked like. Was it domineering or aggressive uh, or sexist. No, it allowed for both the man and the woman to live into and step into the fullness of their vocation within the family. And with that, we see under the titles of St. Joseph and the litany of St. Joseph, that he was a spouse of the mother of God, that he was the guardian of the redeemer, the pure guardian of the virgin, all of these focusing on the understanding that he was the protector. He had responsibility. He had a strong level of not just physical capacity to capacities to protect the Holy Family, the virginity of Our Lady, uh, the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ, but the spiritual protection and guidance that he provided for that family. Uh, St. Joseph is our spiritual and physical uh, intercessor, and he preserved Christ. He preserved us for Christ by his intercession. And so understanding him under these titles in the litany can be so healing for the brokenness of the culture, uh, for the brokenness of families, and inspiring for anyone 
and understanding the proper ordering of the family and the model of masculinity. We read that he's in the litany of St. Joseph, the provider for the son of God. He provided a home, safety, food, prayer time, and healthy relationships. And this is what men are called to in our culture, whether married or unmarried, harboring a culture of respect and the gift of faith in our culture by the way you live your lives. And that's incredibly attractive and that attracts the type of woman that leads to long-term healthy relationships. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Thursdays are weekly marriage hour and I'll discuss pheromones and how we've chemically altered the way men and women relate to each other and choose partners. Also, I'll discuss an anthropology study on how pheromones and sexual activity have shifted for animals who are on birth control and what this tells us about humans. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Christina Pineda, celebrity and royal matchmaker will also be back with me Thursday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.